You're listening to The Dirt on the Past, a show on history and archaeology and why it matters today. You can find us on the Extreme History Project website and also on kgvm.org. Thanks for listening. Welcome to The Dirt on the Past from the Extreme History Project and KGVM Community Radio. Whether digging up a site or dusting off the archives, we bring you some of the most fascinating and cutting-edge research in history and archaeology and discuss why it matters today. Join me, Nancy Mahoney, alongside co-host Crystal Alegria, as we converse with anthropologists, archaeologists, and historians about how they bring the past alive. So, Crystal, here we are another Friday recording the show. Um, We're here in the Extreme History Headquarters. Tell me how your week's been. What's been going on? Oh, it's been just a really busy week. You know, today's Friday, which I'm glad today is Friday, um, because it's been quite a week. But it's been a really good week. I got my COVID shot. Um, Oh, good. First one or second one? First one. Good. I have mine, too. And it took me out for a day, I have to say. (gasps) Oh, really? Yeah, it took me. I was down. I was down for a day. But but up the next day, so that's good. Good. Back to normal. So, but I'm glad My daughter was down for a day. She was. She got the... Pfizer one, and she was yeah. down for a day. I yeah. got Pfizer too. Okay. Mm. So, but um, but we had some really good news this week. We um, we got a, some funding coming in to be able to do our documentary called "The Story of Us," which is a, a documentary about Montana's women, women through history in oh Montana. My goodness. So we're gonna um, we're gonna start shooting that probably in August of the summer. So we're super excited about that. Okay, so Extreme History is going to be consulting on it. You're yeah. going to also be interviewed on it? Or? Yeah, we're going to be working in partnership with an organization called North by Northwest, and they are a film company. And so we will be doing the historical research on this um, documentary, and we'll be researching the women who we're going to feature. And so we're going to start, we've already started doing some of that research. You already have ideas of what women you're going to be profiling and highlighting. We do. That's so exciting. So that was cool. So we we really um, secured the last piece of funding that, well, we need, we'll still need more funding, but we have enough funding now to do the kind of the initial shooting of the the vignettes that we're going to do. So we're excited wow. about that. All right. So yeah. you're going to be like the Ken Burns of Montana PBS. I huh? don't think so. No. But <laughs> <laughs> not that haircut, would, maybe would, anyway. You know, not okay. the haircut, yeah. but I would love to to aspire to that, you know. But but Kimberly Hoberg, who works with North by Northwest, uh-huh. she uh-huh. she is the one who will do that. Okay. So. okay. I just watched the Ernest Hemingway one, yeah. he did, which was great. Which is wonderful. So, yeah. And hopefully this will be shown on PBS Montana. Well, so. this is big news for Extreme it's, History. It's big news. Very exciting. Yeah, and we've been working on it for years. For like two years, we've been, wow. you know, cobbling together this funding. So it's super exciting. And um, we're really ready to start doing the kind of the work of it. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. What about you, Nancy? What What have you been up to this oh, week? Oh, gosh. This has been a busy week for me, too, and mostly good news. So the the shop that I own, Mocha Boutique downtown, um, has been doing well. We have a lot of tourists in town. Everyone, it seems like we've had tourists 
all throughout COVID. It's been very yeah. interesting. Yeah. But locals as well. And people are, all the weddings that they put off, they're starting to have now. So a lot of need for dresses and shoes and some people taking vacations to warm places. But we are having our very first event since I've taken over this summer, a jewelry pop-up and a wine tasting by Blend. Wonderful. So we're featuring our local women um, jewelry artists. They'll be there. And there'll be some good discounts on their work. And we'll be having di- four different wines that we can sample. So I think we're going to head there after, right? Yes, we, do we this. are. Yeah, we are. I know. <laughs> With um, our masks on. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> and then my only other um, big news is that um, we're going to look at trying to get some land set aside for the Archaeological Conservancy. It is a piece of property Um, owned by David Bradley, near the center of Montana in Garneal. And that was a buffalo kill site that was probably used over a thousand years um, by probably various tribes in um, that part of Montana. And we did an MSU field school there the summer before last and found just an amazing amount of material. The community is excited about it, and I think the landowner would like to see the land preserved. So we're really hoping to cobble something together. So I'll be That's talking great. to you more about conservation and, and all of that. Great, so, great. Yeah, so and and hopefully fun. we'll have some um, one or two of those players on the podcast in the future as absolutely, well. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely, so, yes. Yeah. I know, we'll be okay. having to interview you too about the documentary at some yeah, point. So yeah, yeah, we'll just keep this ball rolling. Yes. So, but now we should get to the show yes, today. Yes, Okay, so we are going to welcome everybody to this week's edition of our show. I'm Nancy. And I am Crystal. And we're the co-hosts of The Dirt on the Past. This week, we're at the Extreme History Headquarters, and we're speaking via Zoom with Dr. Jerry Williams from Savannah, Georgia. I think you might qualify as the longest-distance Zoom cast we have done for the show. I think so. Yeah. We're talking with Dr. Williams today about a series that he is working on called Bozeman, Montana, and it features the history of our town's founder, in particular, John Bozeman, as well as his good friend, William McKenzie. Now... I know there's a lot of buzz and people are going to be excited about this, but before we dive into that, we need to tell you a little bit about Jerry's background. Dr. Jerry Williams is a neurologist, an entrepreneur, a historian, and screenwriter. He earned his medical degree from the Medical College of Georgia and completed his postgraduate training with a fellowship in child neurology at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. He's the founder of Urgent Care 24-7, Animal Care 24-7, Dental Care 24-7, and this year was awarded a provisional patent on the Isopro Chamber, a promising COVID-19 related, related medical device. So really, we should have a whole podcast about all those things with you also, Jerry. <laughs> but um, maybe we can find a way to work in a little bit of that. Dr. Williams is a historian of Theodore Roosevelt, having collaborated with two Pulitzer Prize winners on the topic of Roosevelt's death as well as with Roosevelt's own family descendants. Great way to do good history. Dr. Williams is also a screenwriter specializing in historical fiction. So, Dr. Williams, we're very excited to have you here, and welcome to the show. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah, I'm so glad glad you're here on the program today, Jerry. I remember getting a call from you in, I think it was about 2019, and you were asking about John Bozeman. 
um, which isn't an unusual occurrence. I get calls quite frequently about John Bozeman, but yours was different because you had a lot of information. You had a lot of details on John Bozeman. You knew your stuff. And so I was excited to get your phone call because I could tell that you were moving in a direction that I liked. And um, you were working, I think, on a book at that time. At When you called me initially, when we first started talking, you were working on a book. Because, and I was really excited about that as well because I think this is such an important time period in history. This is such an important story. And so I was excited that you were working on that. So let me ask you, how did you get interested in John Bozeman and what led you to start writing a book on this story and then start writing um, more on this story? Well, you know, John... Uh captivated me in the summer of 2019 I was in Bozeman and my good friend Greg Meyer uh, took my wife and I up to Sunset Hill Cemetery and when I read the epitaphs on the obelisk and saw that he was a Georgian and then I saw this W.S. McKenzie name which was I asked my friend I said who's W.S. McKenzie and he said have no idea so uh, then when you look at the third side of the obelisk, uh, it says, here lies. And on the fourth side, it says, two friends. So if that's not a story begging to be told, I don't know what is. Then you take it that these two gentlemen are buried essentially uh, adjacent to the Nelson Story family plot. And you think about the importance of Nelson Story in Montana history but also in U.S. history, because uh, you know he he was loosely uh, the basis of of Lonesome Dove, uh, and and sadly, it's uh, we ought to acknowledge we lost McMurtry mm. uh, in the last couple of weeks, and yeah, um, what a, yeah. what a sad yeah. sad loss end of an era there. Right. Um, so to have these two individuals buried in the Nelson Story family plot, uh, and then when I started digging into who in the heck was W.S. McKenzie from Georgia. And I was captivated by these two Georgians so far away from home. And being a Georgian, uh, that was that was very intriguing to me. So when I started digging in, and after pretty quickly found out through the Gallatin History Museum who William was, uh, that was even fascinating to me, his uh, being sheriff of Bozeman in the 1870s and 1880s. And I decided to start digging. Um, and, you know, these guys were pretty famous in, in your home state, in Montana. But in Georgia, they were kind of normal guys. They were nobodies. And and so trying to go back and research normal guys, uh, you know, 185, 190 years ago, uh, a little challenging, but a lot of fun. Covered a lot of miles. Uh, flipped a lot of pages. Um, but it was exciting. It was a great topic, and that's how it all came about. Jerry, did you find it strange at all that the that those two men were buried together um, so many years apart? Because Bozeman was put in, and we'll get to this a little bit more when we talk about his story, but to me, I found it so interesting because the decision had to be made at some point by Mackenzie that he wanted to be buried alongside Bozeman. Maybe that decision was made when they were alive and then they went, they went through with it. Didn't Mackenzie die many decades later? Right. You know, John died in 1867 
April of 1867. Mackenzie died in uh, 1913 uh, over on East Olive Street, right off uh, two blocks off of Main Street. Right. So, um, yeah, it was a long time. And I've, I've dug deep on that topic, and I haven't been able to find anything documented about specifically about the arrangement between that, just that that William wanted to be buried next to his friend. Yeah. Um, and that was something he had conveyed to his good friend, Nelson Story. And Nelson had helped William along the way financially, and they were friends for a long time. And so uh, that was something that, that Nelson knew uh, was important to William. So when William passed, uh, he made sure that happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fascinating. And and he didn't end up having a family out here of his own that he would have been buried with instead. So No, uh, William, William never married. Um, he died over on, as I said, on East Olive Street uh, in a, a couple's home who they were kind enough to, to take care of him in his later years. He was 85 when he passed. Wow. So, yeah, he didn't have anyone. And they didn't know each other in Georgia before they came out? We don't know that. Mm. We don't know. Um, I can tell you uh, the uh, they were most certainly interacting or interfacing within miles of each other uh, at some point if they didn't know one another. Uh, in fact, we're not exactly sure where William and John met. They may it's it's likely they met in Denver at Georgia Gulch hmm. uh, in present day Denver, Colorado. Now uh, the uh, the site of the uh, third gold rush in America. Mm-hmm. Um, but we don't know. We don't know. Was John's intention originally to come out for the gold rush and not stay very long and, and go back. I'm trying to imagine a, a man with your Southern accent sort of walking around out here, just starting a new town up on his own. And I, I just, I love the idea that one of our, our Western founders would sound like you, you know, perhaps, and have that Southern drawl. Uh, I mean, it's just, and maybe Mackenzie too, and that could have been something that really bonded them, but just to recognize that in each other. They were bonded in a lot of ways. Um, uh, you know, it, their way, they were both Freemasons. Um, they, uh, they're both from Georgia, and they, and they were not far from each other. Uh, John was born in present-day Pickens County, which is north of Atlanta near Jasper, Georgia, and uh, William was born in Jackson County, uh, just above uh, Athens, Georgia, where the University of Georgia is. is. So, uh, and there was a lot going on uh, when they were young men, uh, still tied to the gold industry uh, from the first gold rush in America, which occurred in Dahlonega, Georgia in 1828. So I think there were those things that, that bound them. Um, there's very good, there's very high likelihood that they were bound politically as well. Um, the, uh, both coming from the South during a very, very turbulent time in Southern history. So it's, it's likely they were both Southern Democrats and, uh, loyal to the Confederacy, uh, not to the Union. So, uh, and there's there's information along the way that supports that they were they were Southern loyal loyalists. So there were lots of things I think that bound them together. It's it's amazing. We have a lot of folks that came out during that Civil War time, um, seeking to get away, seeking something different for for a variety of reasons. And it, it's so interesting because you get out here. 
um, a small sort of playing out of the the Union and Confederacy differences, even in, in a small town like Bozeman, where it was being founded. So, Jerry, we, we want to ask you a little bit about um, sort of we know how you started then getting introduced to the story. And then what did you do to do more research? Where did you dive in? Um, did you go to sp- some specific centers where they had archives? Um, tell us a little bit about that. What happened next in sort of your detecting and figuring out this history? Well, uh, I'll say I want to weigh in um, on your previous question. I don't think John had any intentions of going back to Georgia. Mm-hmm. Uh, Do you think when he left, he was like, that's it, I'm probably, you know. We don't know. We don't know. What we do know is from the letter that's at the Museum of the Rockies, we know from that letter uh, that he wrote back to his mother that he had no intentions of going back, and he made that very clear in the letter. Right, so, but he didn't uh, tell his wife. He told his mother. So that that tells you something about John <laughs> Bozeman. But okay, we'll yeah. let you we'll let you fill in all those gaps with yeah. the screenplay. Yeah. So, but Jerry, can you talk a little bit more about that letter and talk about what he said to his mother in that letter that to pass on to his wife? Because I think that's... oh well, you know, it's it's interesting, Crystal. Because first thing you need to know about that letter is that I had read transcripts of that letter doing my research, and. Uh, the transcripts that I read omitted the dirty details. The, 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 the dirty history was, was not in the transcript I had read. So when I actually had the opportunity to read the actual accurate transcript at museum of the Rockies and, and to look at the original letter, uh, which was meticulously transcribed, I might add by the museum of the Rockies staff, uh, all the dirty details were there. And he, he made it clear to his mother to tell his, his wife, he had no intentions of coming back, that she could, she should uh, seek divorce and move on. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just unfathomable to me. You know, when he left, he had two daughters. Mm. Uh, and what I've been able to extrapolate is by June of um, 1860, uh, he was gone. Because when the census occurred in June of 1860, his wife was living with her father with the two girls. So his wife was apparently very early pregnant when he left. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I have no knowledge whether he knew that or not, but uh, he, he, he was, she was pregnant. Um, and then he ultimately had three daughters that, that he did not raise. Um, but two when he left and one his wife was pregnant with. So is this also a way of avoiding the war? I mean, he's leaving behind a family, which is astounding. But do you think he also, I don't know if exactly what month the war started, the Civil War, but he got out of there. It sounds like you said he wasn't there by the time the census was done. Yeah, in 1860, he left in the spring of 1860. Um, and, and, you know, we don't know. We really don't know. And you have to understand, too, it was commonplace for the head of the household to leave and seek fortune to send back to the family or to create a better circumstance to bring their family to. So that's not out of the realm of possibility. Um, and, and my opinion is just conjecture about this. And my opinion is no better than anyone else's on this topic. And I, I wouldn't want to claim that for a moment. Um, I have my I have my opinions about it, but they, they're just that. I, I think I think John had no intentions of going back. Um, I think he was unhappy. He was in an unhappy marriage, and 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 he uh, he had a wanderlust for sure. Uh, he had a aching for adventure, 
and you know he 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 also had some familial uh, accomplishments that he wanted to see finished um, that had started with his father, and uh, I think all of those things are what pushed him and drove him to uh, to leave. Of course, when I wrote the screenplay, I had to I had to make that up. I had to fi- figure out how I was going to address it, and it was actually a very painful. Uh, scene to write when his wife realizes that she's gone, he's gone, that he's left her. And um, it was, it was really hard for me to write. I, uh, I struggled over that scene. And uh, there's another scene about Jacobs's daughter um, when she's beaten, when they're captured uh, on the Bozeman trail. It was very, very difficult to write. I have a daughter and uh, she's 23. Actually, she's on her way to see me here right now, her and her son. Her and my son, I mean, are on their way here. And it was just very difficult to write both of those scenes. It's very painful. I'm, I'm right. sure to really right. do it well, you have to put yourself in that in that experience. Um, what what did, can you tell us about what you learned about John Bozeman's family there, though? What kind of circumstances did he come from? Well, yeah, he, he came from uh, he came from blue collar uh, uh Roots, uh, but you gotta, you have to understand. You know, this is very early eighteen. I went back into the eighteen early eighteen hundreds, and uh, they were living in North Georgia, a very rural, mountainous area. Um, they were farmers. Uh, not not very good uh, farmable land in North Georgia. A lot of rocks, mm-hmm. a lot of red clay. Um, hell of a way to make a living, I'll tell you. Um, <laughs> And, uh, but his, interestingly, his great grandfather was next door neighbors with the guy who discovered gold in the first gold rush in America. When you go to the federal census of 1830, uh, they're literally next to each other, uh, Mm. next door. And so that made a lot of fun again, uh, doing historical fiction, putting all that together because John's father was nine years old in 1828 and, uh, Benjamin, uh, Parks who fa- who found gold or discovered the gold in the in the Cherokee territory of North Georgia, uh, near present day Dahlonega, Georgia, in the fall of 1828. He was 19 years old, so it was a it was an interesting. They were they were just rural Southern farming families, which is largely subsistence farming. I mean, you know, there was there wasn't a lot of thriving going on in Southern Appalachia in the 1820s. I'll tell you. Yeah. So, so he was, um, his family was close with that other family that was involved in that gold rush in Georgia then. And so then, um, do you think that's what, what inspired John Bozeman's father to, um, to have the gold fever and then to eventually go to California himself to search out more gold? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Um, I did. I spent a lot of time. You've asked me where all I went, and I, I have to tell you, I got in my truck, and I turned, on, I turned the key, and I drove all over the state doing this. Um, uh, and I, it's interesting. I found really important pieces of information. Um, interestingly, I found an incredibly important piece of information right here in my hometown in Savannah, Georgia. Um, and it's because Savannah is a port town and has been a very important port town for a long time. And so uh, uh, I found some information I'll share with you later about that. But, um, you know, I went uh, to the University of Georgia Special Collections. I went to the to the um, Georgia State Archives in Morrow, Georgia, which is south of Atlanta, just like a suburb of southern Atlanta. 
Um, and then I went all over North Georgia. I went to Jackson County's courthouse. I went to uh, 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 Pickens County's courthouse. I went to Gilmer County courthouse, which is the next county north of Pickens County, um, which interestingly had a huge collection of uh, one of John Bozeman's wife's relatives, um, who was a pediatric anesthesiologist, oh, wow. um, who had donated all of his work to the uh, the library there in, in Gilmer County in, in LJ, Georgia. And that was fascinating because my grandfather had owned land in L, in, in LJ, uh, not far from Jasper, actually not far at all from where John was born. Um, so that was fascinating to me to go see that. And then I spent a lot of time in Dahlonega. Uh, and so, yeah, I was, I was all over the state assimil assimilating and putting together this whole body of, of work. Um, so, uh, John's father, most certainly, I mean, gold fever was very real uh, in Georgia in the 1820s, 1830s. Uh, fortunes were were won and lost, and uh, mostly the little man didn't do too terribly well. I mean, uh, big, uh, wealthy uh, miners and, and mining companies came in, bought up uh, uh, the, the mines or... Uh, the claims, depending on where they were uh, in their progress of mining it. Uh, but certainly John's father experienced and saw gold fever firsthand. And so no surprise. It's interesting, though. Uh, John's grandfather was uh, uh, was awarded a, a headright grant, uh, a claim um, for, uh, for a gold claim. And he chose apparently uh, not to ever exercise the claim. Not sure why. Um, we do address that in the screenplay. Um, uh, I, I decided to, uh, to to go down that road with that. It was just too good of a detail not to not to cover. Hmm. But what we can tell is the headright to apply for a headright uh, claim was free in Georgia during the gold rush. If you know, if you were a citizen of Georgia, so his father uh, applied for the the the, the gold claim and, and was awarded those acres. And, uh, but then he, uh, he never, he, he had to pay money to actually exercise the claim and he never, he never paid that money and he never exercised mm -hmm. it. And I found all that information where the claim went back to the state where it was never exercised. Huh. That's interesting. Let's move to the next question. And, you know, Jerry, if you could just tell us a little bit about where you did research in Montana. So we know you did a lot of research in Georgia, but what about then you kind of moved out here to Montana and started doing research. Where did you go here to do some of that um, flipping of pages? Yeah. So, uh, of course, the Gallatin History Museum and uh, the State Archives in uh, Helena, and then spent a lot of time also in the uh, special collections, uh, the Burlingame special collections at Montana State University. Yeah. And now I've gone to Bannock and um, let's see, Virginia City, Alder Gulch. You kind of went and stood where, where John Bozeman had stood. You went to a lot of those places. Yeah, and we went to his death site. Right. Uh, you and I, thank you for that. Um, yeah. Yeah, just really needed to see them. We needed to experience them. Um, so yeah, I've, I've I've tried to cover as much as I can cover, and I've also done the uh, the eastern slope of the Bighorns as well um, in Wyoming, trying to understand the the trail itself. 
When so, did you decide, Jerry, that um, you'd make William McKenzie the more the sort of central narrator for this story? Um, well, William, when I realized I was going to do this story is when I figured out who he was and here lies two friends. Uh, but I'm good friends with Richard Dreyfus, the, the Oscar winning actor. And Richard's a huge, uh, historian and history buff and civil war historian and, uh, uh, U S constitution authority. I mean, he's amazing. Uh, he spent two years in England studying the Magna Carta so he could better understand the U.S. Constitution. Wow. The guy, a stud, um, <laughs> historical stud, I'm telling you. So um, I took the we, we idea. like geeks like that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, I know. That's yeah. amazing. <laughs> yeah, it was great. So actually, Richard and I had this incredible three and a half hour face to face meeting in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, at what was the old Buckhead Ritz Carlton. And we. Um, found a place where they would everybody would leave us alone in a in a restaurant that was a hotel restaurant that was closed. We we convinced the manager to make sure nobody bothered us, and we kicked back for three and a half hours. and And I and I I, I pitched this whole story to him, and he loved it. And I said, "Okay, now here's the deal." He goes, "You want me to play McKenzie?" I said, "Exactly." I said, "But here's the deal: I want you to play McKenzie on his deathbed, narrating the entire story." He goes, "I could do that." So he agreed to do that um, immediately, and uh, it was just it was just a perfect fit to put him into that role. And when you see a picture of uh, of of William in in his you know older years, it's unbelievable how much he looks like Richard. Uh, in yeah. fact, Richard made the comment. He goes, well, that won't take long in the makeup chair. Uh, that's <laughs> yeah. awesome. Yeah. yeah when and when did you decide to? Um, do it more as historical fiction and as a screenplay, sort of instead of a, a book, you know, and or like or a straight up history narrative. Well, you know, the the book, the book's going to happen. Um, and and, you know, the book is going to happen a couple of ways. I think I think there'll be a couple of versions of the book. There'll be the historical fiction book. Uh, then I, I really want to go back and, and kind of try to do an authoritative uh addressing of the the John Bozeman topic. And that was another thing, just um, the, the title of the series is Bozeman. Just um, Bozeman. It's Bozeman, Montana. It's just Bozeman. Okay. Um, okay. How that got into the, into the press. Um, that, that sorry, I'm glad you corrected that because that was why I put Montana on the end there as I, yeah, I no, saw it's, it. It's out okay. in the press that it's Bozeman, Montana, but it's not, it's Bozeman. Okay. And, and the reason we did that, or I did that, I should say, is that, you know, it's, it's a story about, it's a story about the place. It's a story about the man. You know, I, I really wanted to tell the backstory because you, if you don't understand the backstory and especially in Crystal, you know, this, you absolutely know this. If you don't understand the backstory of gold and the gold rushes of, of the United States, you're really not going to understand the full gamut of what it be. It means that Montana happened the way it happened. And it's a very complex story. But the the William McKenzie character just made sense to to have um, that relationship. And when you look at gr- the great Westerns, I mean, uh, you know, the Lone Ranger had Tonto and and uh, Butch Cassidy had the Sundance Kid, and 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 the amazing relationship between the two cowboys and Lonesome Dove, and 
you know, I just growing up on Westerns, literally cutting my teeth on Westerns as a boy, as a little boy. Um, uh, I just, I was just compelled to, to put that character in John's relationship as kind of the forefront of this fictional piece. And, and I got to tell you, I grew up learning a lot of history through historical fiction. And, uh, and I think that you can teach a lot of history really from an interesting standpoint through historical fiction. And with the screenplay, a lot more people will learn about Montana's history with a TV series than if I write a long uh, 600-page book that only a handful of people are going to end up reading. Exactly. Uh, so that was yeah. that was my desire was to try to teach as much history to as many people as possible because it's such a, a fascinating story and I thought this was the best way to do it. I love that and I love um, the way to tell it well. You do have to understand much of that wider history of everything that's going on in the country during that that setting and and everything that's going on in a place that isn't even a state yet, much less a territory. Right. So right. yeah. So go ahead, Crystal. Your next question kind of addresses that. Yeah. So kind of talking about that that deeper history of, you know, and talking about the time um, that this story revolves around. And in fact, when this story starts, Montana isn't really even a territory yet. This place is called Idaho Territory. And of course, this place that we then were calling Idaho Territory was not empty and it was not unoccupied. There had been people living here for thousands and thousands of years. There were many tribal nations who lived here um, and had um, many generations before them that had been here as well. So with the gold rush of 1862 in Bannock and then um, the next one in 1863 in Virginia City and then 1864, Alder Gulch, Gulch, and then Last Chance Gulch in 1864, Thousands of people were rushing into this place, causing a disturbance to the people who had been here for so many years. And of course, this just didn't happen in Montana. It happened everywhere, like we were talking about before, that gold was found throughout the nation. And so I know that in our conversations, you're really committed to talking about this history and this aspect of the history. So can you tell us a little bit more about how you represent this in the story of Bozeman? So, you know, that's that's the important part of this story. I think you have to understand that the first gold rush in America happened in Georgia in the Cherokee Indian Territory. And it's really interesting since this press release came out and um, uh, there's there's been some misinterpretations by the press and there's been some misinterpretations by the public uh, that I think that the Cherokee and the gold rusher uh, started in Montana. Uh, <laughs> That press and release then, was, yeah, you, now you can clear that up. <laughs> well, the press release was actually accurate um, yeah. the, that we sent. The, the original article that was written by Deadline was, it was a little confusing, um, but uh, the journalist meant well, but there was a little wordsmithing that went on that wasn't as easily, easily interpreted as it could have been. But uh, the, the first Gold Rush America happened in 1828 in North Georgia, and uh, that's what led to the Cherokees being displaced from North Georgia uh, from the Cherokee Territory to Oklahoma and the Trail of Tears and and all of that travesty that went on, and the uh, the gold rush that happened in Montana uh, was, but also the the gold rush in Colorado, but most certainly the gold rush in Montana caused uh, an upheaval, as did the one in California. And a lot of people just came tromping right through the West, right through these treaties, 
that had been negotiated and the Native Americans felt like in good faith. And uh, we'll stay out of your uh, hunting lands and they would just come right through the middle of them. So uh, you, you have to have that whole context of what happened and where it started and it was in Georgia. But of course the Native Americans have been being displaced uh, you know, for a long time prior to that. In my hometown here in Savannah, when the, the English, the British landed in 1733, they displaced the coastal Indians and said, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna live here in this perfect spot and you guys live over here next door to us. And the Indians were actually very gracious here and very supportive of the British people. And, and General James Edward Oglethorpe and Tomachichi, who was the chief here, became very, very dear friends. And in fact, uh, General Oglethorpe took Tomachichi to uh, England to meet King George II in the summer of uh, 1734. It's a fabulous, fabulous thing. And um, it's actually in another TV series I've done called Valambrosa uh, that's on the history of a plantation here in Savannah. And, I can't wait to shoot that scene where, where Chief Tomachichi meets King George II, because it's actually well documented. It's going to be a fantastic scene. So, um, but yeah, it's, the indigenous people uh, suffered greatly, and, and the genocidal uh, move um, on the Native Americans, uh, you know, it, it certainly didn't start in 1828 with the first gold rush in Georgia, in America that that happened in Georgia, but um, it really things started to get really bad then. So, Jerry, how would you then, or how what's your plan for how that narrative is integrated into the story in Bozeman? Do you have characters? Do you have interaction? Is there is there just background narration? Do, we're just interested because we're always interested in kind of having these voices be, which have so long been overlooked in, in a lot of the histories of our, our, our country. Sort of how, what was your way of creatively bringing that in um, to your screenplay? Well, first thing you need to know is that, you know, Bozeman, the story is, is going to be historically accurate. And it's a it's a historical fiction piece built on the frame of historical accuracy. And I've committed that to Crystal and other historians in, in Montana and in Georgia and to my producers. Um, so it, and that's been my goal from the very beginning. Um, uh, of note, uh, my wife is actually Native American. She's Lumbee Indian of the eastern uh, uh, coastal uh, North Carolina tribe. And so um, it was really important to me to tell the story accurately. And that, that's what people need to know is, it, you know, we're not going to sugarcoat or, or breeze over anything. And, and it's going to be told objectively. You know, uh, history is frequently told by the winners. And uh, I'm trying to be, uh, you know, I'm trying to have as much integrity as humanly possible in the historical research I'm doing in this process to make sure that the story is told accurately uh, without my twist on it. Now I'll put my twist on the histor- on the uh, historical fiction piece, but I'm not going to put my twist on the on the history. The history is what it is. Yeah, I mean, and we know he went to create this trail through right through treaty lands, and then decided to settle in this this area in this valley. And it it's just it's it's amazing because he gets all the all the honor, and and for so long, I think a lot of that other history isn't necessarily as well known or was probably learned in school as much in generations past. We're going to take a quick station break and then um, get back with a few more questions. You are listening to The Dirt on the Past with co-hosts Crystal Alegria and Nancy Mahoney on KGVM Bozeman. 
We are speaking today with Dr. Jerry Williams about his research on John Bozeman and the writing of his new series called Bozeman. So, Jerry, in in um, always trying to bring in these other voices, as we were talking about with sort of the in, in what happened with indigenous people that Bozeman would have encountered and, and the, his counterparts would have been interacted with, we're also really interested in including other voices that might have been left out. So voices of women who in Westerns have often been just the supporting roles, sort of the the attractive appendages, um, uh, sort of held at a distance love interest of the hero or something like that, especially in the John Wayne ones. Um, so I know you're interested in bringing in some of those kinds of voices too into the series. So can you tell us a little bit about um, what women might feature, what role they'll play, and and why it's important to include women in this um, in this okay. story. All right, all right. So, um, Crystal, I can't let this go. You know, she she dissed the Duke. Okay. All right. all right. You don't you don't you don't mess with John Wayne and Jerry Williams. Because right. I'll, I'll walk out on that now. I'm telling you. It's such a trope. I mean, the thing is, I think men and women find him fascinating, but my goodness. I mean, he was just Come on, True Grit, that young lady, uh, she was such a strong character. Catherine Hepburn and Rooster Cogburn and the ladies. Yeah, she was. She was. McClintock. McClintock. I mean, the the protagonist in that story, uh, McClintock, is a drunk and and her his wife is the one who's held everything together. That is not true that women are are mischaracterized in John Wayne movies at all. That is not true. <laughs> There's some incredibly strong women in John Wayne movies. Come I on just now. think the fact that we're calling them John Wayne movies though is the point I'm trying to make. Okay. <laughs> it's not star. about the women, it's about John Wayne and the role he was, he was playing. Star. So we'll move he on was, from he, that. Was, he, he was the star, he was the duke, right? But yeah, there were strong women in those in those movies. So um uh, you know, uh, Rosa Bell um, is is really the star of of Bozeman. I mean, she was an amazing woman. She went through incredible adversity, uh, and 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 then you know just lived a long time in Bozeman and became uh, this amazing historian and and cheerleader of that community. Uh, you know, she is just so important. I, and I just have loved writing about her and and researching her. And, and Crystal knows I've spent a lot of time researching Rosa. I love that woman. I just love that woman. Um, her scrapbook is actually in the special collection at Montana State University. And it, it's it's a treasure. I mean, I just, I, I literally flipped every page uh, several times um, and, and just taking it all in. It was just amazing. Um, I think that, um, that there are other strong women uh, that, that are in the story. Um, yeah, Jacob's daughter, this little girl, um, and what she endured. Um, and, and I can tell you the screenplay uh, very accurately describes the behavior that, and the treatment that she endured at her father's hand. Uh, so it's a tough story to tell. Um, also, uh, uh, there's a character in the movie, uh, or in the, excuse me, in the uh, screenplay uh, that um, we think is uh, the mother of John Bozeman's child uh, that was delivered in his cabin by Rosa. Uh, 
and and so there's a character and she's actually a native american woman uh in in the series so there's a little there's a little snippet for you um that's and, exciting and, yeah yeah it is it's really exciting and she's a strong woman and and you know you you think about the the contemporaries of john bozeman and that were the mountain men uh, bridger for example um uh well jacobs uh the daughter was had a, a native american mother um bridger had three native american wives um all three of whom died in childbirth um uh, so there were there was uh, there were a lot of uh, of interaction between uh, these mountain men and the Native American woman because there was a there was a, a, an absence or a, a shortage, if you will, of of of, of women to date uh, and to court. So they would court the women of the Native American tribes. Well, yeah. I'm glad you'd be giving her a name and she would have a role because I think so many times we do think of them as just the native wives of these white men who get all this history written about them. So it would be so welcome in this day and age to see these fully three-dimensional characters all around um, who would have been involved. So so that's exciting here's, to hear. So here's your exclusive, okay? She has Ooh. a beautiful name and it's a, it's actually a flathead name and it's Oshani. Oh, okay. And nice, uh, nice. and and it's a that is a that's a real uh, flathead uh, name, and I think it's a beautiful name. And Very, I I, yeah. I, mm-hmm. I spent a lot of time researching that. And when I saw it, I just thought it was beautiful. And and uh, she's an amazing character in this story, even though we know almost nothing about her in the historical piece. Uh, but in the historical fiction piece, she's a she's a wonderful person. Yeah, and, that's where the historical yeah. fiction really gives you the edge, I yeah. think, over. Because yeah. you know these were full people, and it's so wonderful, even if you have to speculate, but to draw on the historical sources and, and right. give them full lives. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, it, 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 It's wonderful to be able to fill out that and, you know, make their lives real and, and give voice to these lives it, through that, through historical fiction, and I, I agree that historical fiction is a great way to get history to the public because it it does make it so much more interesting and engaging in that way. And you know, I love that you're including Rosa. We've had long conversations about Rosa Bell for sure. Um, she was yeah, she was wonderful. And in regards to the voice, Crystal, mm-hmm. one thing I would tell you about their voice. Uh, one of my mentors, uh, who's been just so good to me over the last 20 years, is H.W. Uh, Brands, uh, Bill Brands. And H.W. Brands is the chair of the history department at the University of Texas at Austin. And he's an amazing historian. Um, and, and we've collaborated on Theodore Roosevelt uh, works. Uh, that's how I met Bill years ago. But um when I talked to Bill about this project, I reached out to him when I was going to tackle it because I was a little uncomfortable with the whole historical fiction piece, having been a historian for the last 20 years. And, and he said to me, he goes, Jerry, he goes, first of all, I think you should do it. He said, I think you should do this project. And I think if you want to write a screenplay about it or you want to do a historical fiction piece, you should do it. And he said, but I, I want you to do me a favor and you need to make me a promise. And I said, okay. And he said, uh, don't write a single word until you find their voices. And I didn't. I waited, and I was actually in Bozeman, and I was staying in my VRBO, and I was I was actually reading. I was laying down reading, uh, and uh, William's character spoke to me, and I jumped up and wrote the opening scene 
And uh, later when, when Bill and I talked, I told him, I said, uh, you were right. I would know when I found their voices. And they did. They spoke, those characters spoke to me. But Crystal, as you well know, it took thousands of pages and, and uh, hundreds of hours of research before I, they came to me and spoke to me about, you know, kind of trying to capture the essence of who they were as, as people. Right, right. As imperfect people as we all are. Right. Yeah, right. yeah, exactly. You know, Jerry, it's, I love that you say that because you do kind of find these voices after doing research on these people for years and years and years. And, you know, like my colleagues here and like talking with you about these people, it it's like John Bozeman and Rosa Bell and, you know, Leander Black and all these people who live here that we do research on kind of become people that we feel like we know in a way. So it's always, it's always wonderful to have colleagues to talk about this history with because it's like we're talking about friends, you know, that no one else really knows. <laughs> so that's what's kind of fun about this research is and in finding colleagues who do this research together. And, and Nancy, we have people we talk about like that all the time right, too. So, right. so, um, so yeah, I think that's a fascinating part of it and you do kind of get their voice and you kind of are able to see them as a full person and each of those little documents that you find kind of adds to that personhood of of John Bozeman or Rosabelle or any of these people that we're talking about and kind of makes them um, back into a full human, you know, that you can see and that you can understand. So, um, but let's let's talk a little, let's go back a little bit and talk about this time period again that that we're talking about, kind of that 1860 um, to 1870 time period, really, in, that we're talking about today. Your story goes much broader than that. But um, I wanted to talk to you about the Civil War and how, you know, this a lot of this John Bozeman story is, is playing out here in the West when the Civil War is raging in the East. And but really, the, you know, the Civil War has so many implications for what's happening here in Montana, what's happening here in Bozeman as well. And, of course, um, John Bozeman was killed. He was murdered in 1867, so just a couple years after the Civil War ends. And, and um, you know, maybe you could just talk a little bit about John Bozeman's death and, and talk a little bit about that time period here in Montana and talk a little bit about, you know, John Bozeman and, and what his death meant to this town. I, I really feel like um, John Bozeman was a sacrificial lamb for the building of the town Bozeman because um, with his death came a lot of calls from the merchants of Bozeman to help protect this place with government, with military troops. And a fort was built right outside of Bozeman just a few months after he died. And so all this kind of comes together during this time. And then, of course, just a couple years later in 1869, Fort Parker is created. And that's really part in parcel of this death of John Bozeman. So, you know, this is a really complex story, and I don't think if John Bozeman hadn't been killed, Bozeman, Montana, might not be the town it is today. So can you just talk a little bit about that and then just maybe bring it to the present and and tell us why this, you know, why this complex story is relevant today as well? 
Well, you know, if, if you had to pick, you know, the most tumultuous decade uh, in the history of the U.S., it would have been 1860 to 1870. I, I, I mean, there, there have been some bad ones. There have been some tough ones. I mean, certainly the 1960s were tough. Uh, you know, the 1940s, World War II was tough. Uh, the Depression was tough. Uh, the decade of the Depression. So there's been a lot of, of tough times that we've endured. But I think if you had to pick the, the worst one, uh, it, was, it, was, it was 1860 to 1870. It was the Civil War when brothers took up arms against brothers, countrymen against countrymen. And, and you know, that, that's an important part of this. And, and you know, it's, it's, it's one of the reasons why uh, a two-hour movie was not enough. A four-hour miniseries was not enough. Uh, an ongoing series because there's just so much content here uh, to tell the story well, and and you're right, you have to put it into context and 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 what was going on at that time, uh, and then the healing that had to happen afterwards, uh, not just the financial healing, the devastation that the war took told on the economy of the United States but what it did to the families and what it did to our community as a country, uh, it's just, it's, 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 it's unfathomable actually. And, um, and I think too, you have to understand that, uh, there was pressure that pushed people, uh, to Montana to avoid the war. Um, I, I, I it certainly wouldn't surprise me that, uh, while John Bozeman was, uh, a very brave man, uh, a very brave man, uh, and much is written about his bravery. Uh, but yeah, he had no interest in, in going back and fighting in that war. And, and that, I think there was a, a number of people who had that opinion. Um, but also, I think you have to put into context that after the Civil War, and uh, you know, once they had a handle on Reconstruction, and, and the South was an occupied Reconstruction, uh, but once they had a handle on that, the war machine that the United States had built uh, really didn't have a purpose. It went uh, west. Yeah, yeah it went came west. Out here. So yeah. The, the yeah. purpose became go west, uh, protect the settlers, uh, you know, and destroy the or, or control uh, the indigenous people. And so the war machine was turned on the indigenous people of the West and was, was focused. And, and, you know, you have to remember, and I know, you know, this crystal, John was, uh, is, is big a cheerleader for trying to bring in troops to protect Bozeman. And, and they trumped it up. I mean, they, uh, they overestimated the threat because they wanted the permanent presence of those soldiers because they wanted their dollars. They wanted the federal dollars. They wanted the, the, the supplies, and all of that went with supporting that machine, that military machine that was protecting Bozeman. Uh, you know, he, he had written letters to the editor that had been uh, editorials that were published. So John's death, uh, depending on how he died, but, but, but it, it, it sent a shockwave through the West. And clearly the United States military uh, uh, took notice when John was murdered and, and John did, whether he was, whether he was murdered by the Blackfeet Indians or whether he was murdered by uh, the other options that are, that are out there. Uh, and by the way, we're doing a documentary on that issue. So really looking forward to completing that this summer. Um, but 
he did become the sacrificial lamb, but the presence of the, the, the huge military presence along the Bozeman Trail uh, and, and later just around Bozeman uh, is what gave Bozeman the economic safety net that allowed Bozeman to become the city that it, that it became, but also led to Montana's uh, thriving and becoming a state. Yeah, I mean, they this place where we live now is really what's considered to be that last frontier, that last internal frontier, not just going west. And I always found that fascinating, having grown up on the East Coast, just thinking of people moving west and not realizing these northern plains, this these landscape that's a lot more challenging to live in, to to farm and to do everything, and just to get the cows up here and then get them through the winter and keep the horses fed with enough hay. I mean, it's definitely different challenges than a lot of other places for um, for settlement. But in you know, they declare the frontier finally closed. What in eighteen ninety two? You know that whole very mm-hmm. famous essay. But it's it's fascinating because this this was this area that at the end of the Civil War was still considered quite a frontier and um i think it it makes it makes for a way to tell some aspects of the american story and american history in a a really different way um so i look forward to what sounds like a, a more nuanced approach to kind of understanding the west and with that in mind we we wanted to sort of ask you if you have um first of all we've talked about a screenplay which usually sounds like for a movie so i'm not clear if it's um a movie or perhaps a series that you're thinking about in terms of telling the story of bozeman well it started out as a two-hour feature movie then grew to a four-hour miniseries which i wrote in three months in 90 days and now it's being uh marketed uh as a ongoing series. The screenplay that I wrote is going to serve as a, a, a Bible to the writer's room. And, and, and one of the things that we intend to do is, is I'll, I'll, have, a, I'll have a seat in the writer's room uh, on this project, and um, we'll do the historical consulting on the project as well. Um, so uh, it, it's a TV series. It's, it'll be an ongoing series. An ongoing series, and and a couple questions. Um, one has to do with filming, and would any of it be filmed in Bozeman? Would it be filmed in Montana? And two would be, is there a timeline? How far along are you on getting something like this underway? Well, um, it's not a timeline right now. Um, there's discussion uh, about uh, the project with um, with production companies, but. Um, the uh, the the piece I, I very much want it to be filmed in Montana. I can't imagine it not being filmed in Montana, but that's going to lar- lie largely with whether the tax credit is increased in Montana, and the the legislature is currently uh, addressing that. In fact, it's going to the Senate next. Right. Uh, it's passed the House this past week, uh, so that will be that, that. Those are economic factors that are out of my control, but. Um, if if the tax credit's raised, we would certainly uh, shoot it in Montana. I don't think there'll be much shot in Bozeman. Uh, there's there's just not a lot uh, in that period that you can do in a modern city. Uh, but but it'll be shot in various locations around around Montana. It's it's interesting because you know it's, it's very hard to shoot in Bannock 
because Bannock didn't look like Bannock looks now uh, okay. in in the eighteen sixties. Yeah. So uh, the the I think the the most likely or where a lot of the shooting will be done will be at the new Yellowstone Film Ranch in Immigrant. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you have some, uh, I'm sure, a wealth of historical photos. We've seen wonderful ones of Bozeman from the 1870s, 1860s. So there there would be some ways to really try to have some accuracy there and what, what that set might look like, huh? Well, they've built, they've built a Western town in Immigrant, uh, and it's, uh, it's, it's just amazing. They've done a beautiful job with it. Uh, in fact, they're getting ready to start filming uh, a period Western there uh, later this month called Murder at Immigrant Gulch, which is nice. kind of exciting. Yeah, that sounds exciting. Yeah, yeah it yeah. is. <laughs> so that brings us to, our, to one of our last questions, Jerry, and that is about another project that you're working on. And that project is called Nelson's Story. So we've talked a little bit about Nelson's Story as we've been talking this afternoon. And Nelson's Story was one of our other um, very famous characters that helped build, build Bozeman. It was one of our town founders, him and his wife, Ellen Story. And um, he plays a big part in this role of John Bozeman as well. But... Um, and and that's probably how you came to him. But tell us a little bit about Nelson's story. Well, you know, you, you dive into Bozeman's history, and and you can't you can't come out of that not uh, being affected by Nelson's story. Lonesome Dove was actually one of my favorite westerns of all time, and um, very very loosely uh, based on uh, Nelson's stories uh, experience experience that eight months. Uh, where he drove the cattle from Fort Worth, Texas to what is now modern day Livingston. Um, but in Nelson, like John Bozeman is a very, uh, uh, conflicted character, um, uh, has a lot of different facets, uh, some very good, some very bad. Um, but, uh, Nelson's story was an amazing man, uh, who accomplished a great deal uh, largely in Montana, made his fortune, but also uh, did quite well in uh, Los Angeles uh, in the later part of his life. Uh, spent some time uh, seasonally in, in L.A. I, I wanted to learn as much as I could about him, so I started in, in where he was born in southeast Ohio and fought him across the Midwest to ultimately to Montana and then to L.A. and it's it's a fascinating story about a fascinating family. Uh, it's it's uh, it's it's very interesting. He's a larger than life character for sure, and and very complicated. Um, and Jerry, we could we could talk to you all day about this history surrounding Bozeman, Montana, uh, John Bozeman, and Nelson's story. Um, our time is running out though, so we just want to be able to keep in touch with you and keep everyone updated on the series Bozeman as things develop. And we want to thank you for um, spending the time with us today and sharing the fascinating history and, and all your research on it. Well, thank you very much. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Thank you, Jerry, so much for your time and definitely for your dedication to this project. Like I said before, it's an important story and it's not just a regional Montana story, but it's really a national story 
And these characters that we've talked about today, John Bozeman, Nelson Story, Rosabelle, you know, you can find characters like these in every Western town because this was happening throughout the West and really throughout the nation. So so thanks for your dedication to this story. And I look forward to seeing it on on the television screen. So um, so much fun to have you on the podcast. And thanks to all of our listeners out there for joining us today. And we hope you can join us again to find out more about The The Dirt Dirt on the Past. And if you're enjoying The Dirt on the Past, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Also, please tell your friends and leave us a review. It really helps people find us. We're a new podcast, and we're trying to grow our listener base. So please share. Thanks, and thanks for listening. You've been listening to The Dirt on the Past, a podcast of the Extreme History Project and Gallatin Valley Community Radio, KGVM. To hear more episodes, visit our website at theextremehistoryproject.org. Thanks for listening, and until next time, keep searching out The Dirt on the Past.